Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ladies and gentlemen, basketball fans from around the world, welcome to another edition of The Bird Calls. I am David Grubb, your host, and I'm joined by senior writer at The Bird Rights, Mr. Ali Cosell. Ali, always a pleasure, sir. Yeah, how are you doing, David? I'm dying over here. It's 100 degrees outside. It feels like 115. Well, I, I think the the gentleman that is joining us is a uh, is a little warm himself. Uh, our special guest uh, this evening, we welcome to the show Pelicans analyst, former NBA champion, and former MAC Player of the Year, Mr. Antonio Daniels. AD, thank you so much for joining us, sir. Uh, for sure, for sure. David, Ali, thank you guys for having me. And it, it's a hundred and whatever, 15 here too, Ali. So I, I, I feel you. In, in San Antonio, it's a little hot. It's another Uncomfortably year. Uncomfortably hot. Yeah, another disrespectful. Tell, <laughs> tell folks first about this, your camp and how, how many years you've been doing this now and, and how important it is to you each and every year to, to do it. Man, this is 23 years uh, for me and my wife that we've been 22 years for me and my wife. We didn't do it one year because of COVID. Um, and we started in 2000. Um, it is it is truly uh, the highlight of our summer, uh, just to have an opportunity to speak into the lives of young people. Um, my coaching staff is awesome. My voice is almost gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, three separate gyms of kids. We have a... a um, Younger kids gym, we have a high school gym and we have a middle school gym. And, um, you know, God has blessed us with the ultimate platform to impact um, others. And, and I remember years ago, um, I told my wife at one time, you know what, I think this is my last year doing camp. And she told me then, she said, you know, no, we still got more lives to impact. And, and she was 100% right. And um, it's, it's something we enjoy doing because it's not simply about basketball. You know, there's one thing I've learned as an athlete, that ball's going to stop bouncing one day. And the parallels uh, between life and sports that you learn from sports, you can carry over into real life. And those are the things that we try and teach. Just as important as it is to learn to dribble and shoot and pass and defensive slide, you have to learn to communicate. You know, you have to learn to be positive. You know, you have to develop a work ethic. Your attitude is important. You have to learn to become comfortable being uncomfortable. All these kind of things that we stress at camp that we hope when the week is over and we have those kids for 30 hours, that they will walk out a little bit different than what they walked in. That's that's just really exceptional. And just uh, I know how much those camps meant to me when I was a kid. And I was one of those ones who every summer would, would be, you know, and, and that mix of kids that's, you know, and I, I got to, fortunately, I got to coach at a couple um, when I was at Wake Forest, I got to coach at summer camps and and just the yeah, giving we gotta, back. We got to get you down here then, man. We got to get you <laughs> down here for a week. 
Come on, man. I loved it. I only lost one game in two years in my practice, you know, in our, our team games. I love my team. Hey, we were good. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you boasting. Yeah, I've, I've had similar six or enjoyment factors with camps growing up. And you're right, mm-hmm. Eddie. Life skills. I feel like I learned more in those than I ever did in actual school with my friends, you name it. Yeah. I in those it. moments? Like I had, you know, I would go to UNO's camp was one that I went to in a lot of a lot of times. And and I had players like Irvin Johnson. You remember Irvin? Mm-hmm. Played with mm-hmm. the Sonics and the Timberwolves for all those years. Um, and he was, you know, he had just gotten to UNO when I was a kid. And um he would come over, he comes over to him, puts his arm on his shoulder, big seven foot guy. There you and go. Just says, hey, and, work and on your free throw like this. That's it. That's it. And you haven't forgotten that. And that's what I mean when I say, you know, but to whom much is given, much is required. A platform. The platform that you have to actually change the trajectory of some young person's life. Because they'll remember this. They'll remember this. Like when me and my wife were out in the city of San Antonio, there are people right now that are adults that have their own children. So we've seen the cycle that are sending their kids now to camp that have come to camp. So just the fact of and being blessed to have the opportunity to impact them in a different way where they'll tell you today, you know what? I remember every day that you had a word of the day, which we do. You know, on Monday this week, the word of the day was uncomfortable. You know, yesterday, the word of the day was attitude on Tuesday. Today, the word of the day was appreciation. So these are the things that they'll remember more than, you know what? Did I teach them how to shoot? Did I teach them how to dribble? And now they were saying at that particular time, I didn't really understand it. But now that I've grown up and I'm matured, I completely understand what you guys were trying to accomplish. And that's the best thing to hear. Just fantastic. And um, just continued success with the camp. And, Thank and you. Enjoy Thank the you. rest of the week for sure. For sure. Um, to move things back closer to the Pelicans. First, I think a lot of folks are interested to know, are there any updates on the broadcast situation for the fall? Do you do are, are you and Joel, is everything, you know, Aaron, everybody going to be back, everything square? We know that the Bally situation is something that's up in the air, but are has that impacted the team at all? No, no, it hasn't impacted the team. Um, the only thing I guess that's a little bit different is uh, I have broadcasted my last game in New Orleans. Um, I'm, I'm no longer with the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm just playing. No, nothing has changed. I was gonna no. say you didn't tell me. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just I am totally just joking. No, you had David I'm totally yeah, joking. Go. Yeah, no, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed whatsoever. Uh, I actually talked to Joel um, for a good amount of time yesterday. Um, had good conversations with Jen Hill this summer. So uh, no, as as of right now, nothing has changed. You know, our, our broadcasting team is still in place and um, still looking forward to uh, doing what we do next year. Lord willing. Second, um, I'm sure you were aware of the Twitter spaces the other night with uh, Chris Connor hosting and CJ, Larry, Trey all joining in and, and being part of the conversation. There's this rare relationship between the players on this team and that includes you guys, the broadcast team, you and, and Joel Aaron and David Wesley. Like I say, all of, of you, what is this experience like, this connection between city fans, players, broadcast team, and how does it compare to the places you've been throughout your career? Well, I've always called this a, um, it's a love fest. You know, it's a love fest between the the fan base and the organization. 
Now, the thing that you have about Love Fest is you have up and downs. Sometimes it's really good, and other times, you know, it gets a little choppy. Uh, first, I I'll give all credit in the world to Chris, Connor, for actually doing this, for actually putting on the spaces and giving um, the fan base an outlet, being a liaison between the fan base and also to the organization, to the broadcast team, whatever it may be. And I remember when Chris first approached me and we talked about the spaces, I told him I would love to join. I'm a people person. In case you don't know, I like to talk, right? In case you didn't know that, I like to talk. So when it was an opportunity to talk about my experience with this fan base and what I see on a day-to-day -day basis and why I think the team is successful or unsuccessful or things that I see that could be different or maybe something that the fan base is missing or something that they want to share with me, I was all open to it. I was all open to it. Chris is a great guy for actually having this thought process to, to mend the two. And there has to be an amount of trust that's there. That's the most important thing. When you're doing spaces, because I can guarantee you this, I don't know how many other of the other 29 organizations have spaces. I don't know. But I, don't, I can guarantee you, out of all those spaces, you don't get three players like CJ, Trey, and Larry to join those spaces unless there is an incredible amount of trust that's been built up between Chris, the fan base, the broadcast team, the organization, and the players. Yeah, because in a lot of places, and Ali, you could attest to this because you've been in, the, in a lot of the spaces too, in, in some places, it could go left really quickly. But the level of respect has to be maintained, like you said, not just, sure. you know, but it's a level of respect between the fans and those players, right, Ali? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm in a second AD. What Chris has done is just incredible. You know, you remember what the social media channels were like in terms of just Pelicans. And it was a war zone, right? People were biting each other's heads off left and right, even after wins, right? But boy, if the team was losing, you, you didn't want to go in. You didn't want to log in maybe for a week, right? But Chris has this way about it to where he mediates any kind of situation perfectly, right? Even in that spaces that, you know, you're talking about, he just hosted. There was, you know, a question or two that was kind of questionable, but the way he handled the situation moved on from it. Like that. So, yeah, I, you can definitely see the trust that Chris has built up and respect, not just right in the organization you're talking about, but literally all the Pelicans fan base. You know how hard it is to have an entire fan base that's probably younger. You know, you're bold. You want to get your words out. For you to actually pay attention to somebody like Chris, I love it. And it's because it's Chris. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the thing that, that um, for me, me and Chris have had conversations away from spaces. I've been asked to join other spaces that I've turned down. You know what I mean? I've been asked to do other things that I've turned down. I I've learned to say no. And there are certain situations, like you just said, Ali, that are, that are respectful situations. Again, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get an occasional curse word in there. Or, because, again, we're talking about sports. And with sports come emotion. You know, with emotion comes honesty, brutal honesty. You know, when fans are uh, upset about something. And the thing that I feel like this organization has learned to do really on the broadcast side and also with the players is to hear that frustration. So fans want to know also on the other side that they're being heard and that their frustrations aren't falling on deaf ears. So sometimes it's things that you don't want to hear 
And sometimes the message isn't delivered the right way, but it's always heard. Yeah, David, before we move on, Andy, I wanted to follow up with what David did ask, kind of a second part to his question, mm -hmm. where he mentioned um, the connectedness, right, on this team. Mm -hmm. you, I see it. I've seen the interactions just for instance, you and Joel have in pregame with it seems like half the roster every single night. When you first got here, I didn't see that. Almost all the years I've watched Joel, I haven't seen him have those interactions. So could you speak mm -hmm. to not only the specialness of that bond of the locker room, but also maybe why it may be important? Because, I, look, you see social media. People are ready to trade Jonas Valanciunas. He's in a trade rumors right now. People are ready to jump ship on Zion, B.I., you name it, all the time. But why you think it's good for continuity, even more so in this instance, because of what you've seen, what I've seen on this Pelicans team? Well, I, I've always said this since I've been here. Um, this is one of the closest teams that I've seen off the floor. But what's interesting is no one wants to hear that when you're losing. Mm -hmm. When you're losing, no one cares. You know, when, when you're you're three and 16 and you're saying, you know what, man, we are three and 16, but boy, this team gets along well. Everybody's like, so what? You're three and 16. But then when that three and 16 then turns around and now you're starting to make a playoff run, now we can go all the way back to when this team was three and 16 and that continuity, that connectedness that you're referencing is one of the reasons why this team has made the run that it's made. It's one of the reasons why this fan base gets disappointed when this team doesn't perform up the standard. That's why, because one of the things that's changed, one of the things that's changed is the... One, the perception around the team, and two, the standard for the team. I know what the standard was when I got here. I know what it was. My timeline aligns with Zion's and, and Nikhil's and, and Jackson and those guys. This will be my fifth year. I know what that was like. I remember joining spaces all the way back then, right? And I heard the fan base talking about some of the negativity and some of the things that they expected. And this team never makes the playoffs. They're never in the postseason and all these different kind of things. But I also know the standard that the fan base has for this team now. And times have definitely changed. Absolutely. Um, let's go to the draft and, and look at the most recent uh, activities for the Pelicans. They take Jordan Hawkins. Um, mm -hmm. And AD, what do you see from him as far as what he brings to the table? But then also, what are his biggest challenges as he makes the transition from the I, college game to the NBA? I'll tell you. I'll tell you the challenge first, and I mean this respectfully. The challenge first for Jordan Hawkins will be to find the floor. That will be the biggest challenge because you have to understand that this is a very talented roster when healthy, very talented roster when healthy. That's why you don't just go out and make moves to make moves because when you talk about a guard stepping into this situation, Think about some of the guards that are already on this team, on currently on the roster, and can play the guard position. B.I. can play the guard position. Trey Murphy can play the guard position. Herb can play the guard position. Jose's a guard. CJ's a guard. You can go down the list. Kyra Lewis, who was a lottery pick a few years back, is a guard. So you can go down the list of different guys. So I think the biggest issue right now will be for Jordan to actually find the floor. On the other side, he got a wetter. He got a wetter. And that's one of the things that this team has needed. 
I, that's one of the things that every team needs, every team wants. The most valued asset in today's NBA is shooting. Nothing is more valued, right? A great rebounder will not get paid like a great shooter. A great defender will not get paid like a great shooter. You know, we see guys that are great shooters getting 80, 90, $100 million when you see guys that are great defenders getting 15, $20 million because shooting is valued. And the thing about Jordan Hawkins is he can shoot that ball. So if he continues to shoot the ball at that rate, it may be difficult to find that floor. But I'll tell you another thing. If he's shooting the ball like he showed he could do in college, it's going to be difficult to keep him off that floor. Yeah, Eddie, could you talk a little bit about what really makes Jordan special? And it's his movement shooting, right? The fact that he doesn't need the ball. He can go out there, maybe touch it for 50 right. seconds and a half, and he'll get you 15 points like Clay Thompson maybe, right? Like Steph. Talk to, me, talk to us about how that added facet to this Pelicans team that's really hasn't had it even during your tenure here, how important it is and how, you know, maybe in time, right? Maybe not this season, maybe not for half mm -hmm. a season, whatever, how, however long it takes for them to carve out that role. But in due time, how important see, adding that facet will be? See, I think one of the things that, that we've seen, we've seen what time does with young players. And by young players, I just mean guys that are young in the league. Because the Trey Murphy that's in front of us today wasn't the Trey Murphy that was drafted, right? It took time for him to understand, all right? It took time for him to realize what his skill set was and then translate that to the floor. And the thing that I've seen that's been impressive to me about Jordan Hawkins, he reminds me, and I hate comparing guys. I know you because do. Because <laughs> CJ says all the time, comparison is the thief of joy. Yes. But if you watch Jordan Hawkins play, he moves, he moves like Rip Hamilton, mm -hmm. but he shoots like Ray Allen. Mm -hmm. And the I was elevation. blessed to play, right, I was blessed to play against Rip, play against Ray, and also play with Ray for two years. And one of the most impressive things about both of them was their off-ball movement. They didn't need the basketball in their hands to be efficient. They didn't need the basketball in their hands to be impactful. And also, I think this also moves us to another point, right? There was a reason that Willie went out and got James Borrego. There's a reason why, right? Because if you watch the way that JB runs his offense, it's a lot of movement. It's a lot of movement. So you know what you do? You go out and you get guys that fit the scheme of your offensive philosophy. And right now, guys like Jordan Hawkins, guys like Trey Murphy, these guys that are knockdown shooters, when you put them alongside Zion, when you put them alongside B.I., the playmaking of C.J. McCollum, Jose Alvarado pushing the pace, it's a great opportunity and position for these young shooters to be in. Ali, you want to follow up on that one? No, Andy <laughs> took all the words that I was going to use. <laughs> one of the things that, I, that you also notice out, out of him is that he kind of fits – what we've seen the Pelicans have a consistent draft strategy over the last three seasons. You know, the first two years, it felt like David Griffin was going for talent first. Like the priority was upside. Getting a home run. Right. Three years. Right. There mm -hmm. has been, it's, and, and I'm not saying that Herb and Trey and Jose and Dyson aren't skilled. They are highly skilled players. I forgot but what he was looking bad. for were guys who mm -hmm. had histories of contributing to winning. And you take another kid in Jordan Hawkins who took, went from year one to year two and not only increased his statistical output, which everybody is the first thing they want to look at, he increased his leadership role on that team 
and he became the center of that team as it made its run to a national championship. Well, see, I feel like that's a part of the whole draft process. It's so much that goes into the draft, you know, kind of sitting back and, and, and looking at Twitter and, and the Pelicans fan base and they're talking about what's needed and so on and so forth. And then when it's over, people saying, well, you know what? The, the, the team didn't address their needs. And I would disagree. I think they got exactly what they wanted. You know, one in Jordan Hawkins, but also in, in Robbins. You know, that's something we haven't talked about. There's a there's a there's something you can tell. You talked about um, the way that they're approaching the draft. When you look at Jose, outside of Dyson, because Dyson's young, but Jose and Trey and Herb, all those guys in particular over the past couple of years, they played three years of college basketball more. So what that means is you're ready to come in and contribute immediately, because I trust. I trust your experience. I trust the fact that you're battle tested. And if you look at all three of those guys, it's paid dividends. It's paid dividends. All three of those guys right now are rotation ready. All three of them. Jose wasn't even drafted. He's rotation ready because he went through three, four years of college, right? You talked about the progression of Jordan Hawkins from year one to year two. So you kind of sit back and you look at that growth, right? You look at that maturity and think to himself, okay, can I put this guy in the locker room? If I put this guy in the locker room, how would he fit in? Right? I love what the Pels did. They went out and they got shooting, and they went out and got the SEC Defensive Player of the Year. And as we've seen and history have shown, they've had pretty good success with SEC Defensive Players of the Year. So I'm going to trust Grip on that. And, I'll, and another part is you look at the coaches that these program, the programs where these players come from. Mm-hmm. And what do they teach? Jerry Stackhouse at Vanderbilt. That Vanderbilt team last year was one of the toughest, most physical teams in the country. You know, and yet he's your big man is still capable of shooting these threes. Mm-hmm. He's getting 3.2 blocks in 23 right. minutes. In 23 right. minutes. And then and then you talk about at Cincinnati with um <clears throat> I'm sorry, his name has escaped me. Ollie, Ollie, Cincinnati kid. Oh, Landers Nolly. Landers Nolly, another guy coached. Very in a program that was on a great up and coming run in Cincinnati mm-hmm. that made a great jump last year, and he was in the center of that. And then you also talk about UConn being coached really hard by a Danny Hurley and, and that family of a that build that it, its tradition on fundamentals, playing the game a certain way. Same right. things with these other guys that we've seen that they've Virginia. Fundamentals, consistency, those things for Alabama. That there's you're looking for guys who have been coached and are receptive to coaching as well, right. too. Agreed. And here's the thing, man. I'm gonna be honest with you. We can do all of the measuring, and there's certain things that you can't measure. I remember going through the, the draft combine where they do how many times could you bench 135? What's your wingspan? What's your standing wingspan? What's your one-step vertical? What's your two-step vertical? Let's do the cone drill. Let's do the 40. All these things. But there are certain things that you can't measure. Jose Alvarado has something you can't measure. Right? Trey Murphy has a work ethic that you can't measure. Right? 
Herb Jones has a defensive IQ and awareness that you can't put on paper. So here's the thing. We can do all of the, well, I think, and I think, we don't really know what's going to translate and what isn't. We have no idea. All we can do, all we can do is guess. Yes, there are certain home runs because of the environment. Victor Wembanyama is going to be a home run because of the environment around him. You know, LeBron James, home run. I get it. But there are other guys that are taking deeper in the draft because you think if you can go back and do some drafts over, you don't think Steph Curry would have went first? Mm-hmm. You, Giannis? Don't think, you don't think Drake, <laughs> right? You don't think Giannis would have went first because there are certain things that you can't measure. There are certain out of all of the different analytical things that they can do and hand size and all these kind of things. Look, we don't know what's in somebody internally. We don't know what's in their heart. We don't know how much they want to learn, how truly coachable they are when they get to this level. What you hope as an organization that the guy that you drafted has all the immeasurables that you can't measure that translate to the NBA level. And that capacity for additional growth, because right. you know, I think there's, we, we see it throughout our lives. There was somebody who was the best athlete at your school no in question. the grade, no but by question. the time you got to high school, they weren't anything. And that happens no throughout each level. And you're looking for those players. And I think athletic upside is one thing. But I think, you know, I think there's been an overemphasis on that. We're not looking for the mental acuity and those other things, the willingness of any job, mm-hmm. soft skills, as they call them, in a job, because this is a job. Are you adaptable to being a professional? Are you consistent? Do you have a work ethic? So, All those things. Okay. So, so let's make this a real conversation. Let's be real, yeah. How do you measure that? How do you measure how a young man that's coming from college is going to respond when you put $5 million in his pocket? Yes, guessing. You're guessing. Exactly. You are exactly right. And that's the part that makes this difficult. Because if this isn't a, a young player issue, we see it all the time. We see guys that are eight, nine, 10 year veterans that are really good players and then they get paid and they take a year off or two until it's time to get paid again. So there are certain things that, that, when you sit down and you have those interviews, you know, that you tell yourself, okay, I, I like this kid. I like the way he presented himself, very respectful, so on and so forth. But then will all of those things that you liked about this young man translate when you put him in between those four lines with the Zion, with the B.I., you know, with the Herb Jones, with the C.J. McCollum, with the Jonas Valanciunas? Well, you better be able to play. No <laughs> right? I, I mean, I, I mean no like, yeah, it, it's it, – that mix, you better have both. It's the intangible, right. but you better have enough of those tangibles too. Yeah, AD, to your point, I feel like the Pelicans have, and David Griffin, front office, scouting department, they've stumbled on, I feel like, on a formula where they're finding grinders who really want to excel at their craft. So whatever role they come into, right? And I'm glad, you know, you don't you rattled off a bunch of names, but I'm glad you mentioned Robbins, right? SEC, Defensive Player of the Year. Guess who was mm-hmm. the year before, right? Right. Walker Kessler, right? And look what he did out of Utah. Nobody expected. You even had people saying, is he even better than Rudy Gobert, right? I mean, that's how well he played. I'm not taking anything away from Rudy Gobert. And, and I feel like, like I said, I think the Pelicans have honestly stumbled across something to where they deserve a lot more credit for it. So we should, as a fan base, I feel like, be a little bit more hopeful about Jordan Hawkins' selection, Robin's selection. Because I personally am. I've done the video footage. and I, I trust they've done all those right interviews. I know it's still a guess at the end of the day. But I think they've increased their chances of finding who they're looking for, especially yeah. for this team. 
You got. But to here's the question I would ask, though. Here's a question I would ask. Like for someone that would anyone that would say Jordan Hawkins wasn't the right pick. I'm just hypothetically speaking here. If he wasn't, who was? The the reasonable options in our minds. You don't want to know any differences. The the people that like upside, they were screaming Cam Whitmore. Yeah, I hear you. And that may be something that you say, you know, three years from now. You know what? I told you so. But if it doesn't happen, then you it'll be crickets. Mm-hmm. You know, but we also have to understand the need of this team. What and the reality of the timetable. No question about it. No question about it. You know, I, I can, there are many fan bases out there that were um, talking about Cam Whitmore. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I don't know the, the intricacies of why he dropped so far in the draft. But there's a reason. I don't know the reason why. And that's not my business. That's not my business. What I'm saying is, if I'm a New Orleans Pelicans fan, if there wasn't a um, tall rim protector that was available, you know what I'm going with next? Shooting. And you know exactly what David Griffin and Trajan Langan and Bryson Graham and Swin Cash got? A shooter. And I'm okay with that. Because then on the flip side of that, you end up getting and taking a chance on a rim protector possibly that other people just allow to go undrafted. I mean, if, if he can be a poor man's Brooke Lopez, you know what I'm saying? Like a guy who's able to protect the rim. He's not a great rebounder, but he's a very good shot blocker and able to knock down the three consistently. And is a good there. defender. Stop there. That's all you need. I know. That's all you <laughs> That's need. Enough. He's going to play 20 else. years. That's the thing. You don't need nothing else. Think nope. about what you're saying. You're saying if a guy's seven foot one, seven to two, and can block shots and shoot threes. Mm-hmm. Period. I, None. Set screens. I'm good. You do those things. You got a you got a home for a long it time. Young man. That's right. Paint, supposedly, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. And I think that that's, that that role exists for him if he wants to seize it. You know, obviously he's he has to wait till August because of his injury and come back. But I think you know the there's no one in his path, so to speak that can do, bring what he brings to the table. Right. On the, so for him, you show out and bring what you, just do what you do. And be, and, and the, that big C word that you always talk about, consistency, which is the hardest thing for a young player to find. If he can just, if, if we give you three minutes, man, if, we, if you get three minutes, can you be a good two fouls for us? Can you do it the right way? If you get that open shot, will you take it? And I think it's mm-hmm. those kinds of things that you're looking for. But again, that's a five-year player who played under a coach in Jerry Stackhouse who certainly understands the mental top of the game. And I know for me that that's one of the reasons I really, really, really look forward to training camp. Because it's one thing sitting back and watching film. You know, it's, it's one thing to sit and watch um, Summer League. But to actually watch it in training camp on a day-to-day basis and watch these things translate, then you have a, a completely different perspective of these particular players and how their skill set will fit with what the Pelicans are trying to accomplish. Speaking of summer league, AD, you've got to be itching at least a little bit, and not just for Jordan Hawkins. Think about EJ Liddell. We haven't really gotten a good glimpse mm-hmm. yet. I'm very curious to see. I've heard a lot of good things the last few months about him. 
And then, of course, Dyson. People are saying he's going to take a nice leap, right? So talk to maybe about Summer League, maybe those two guys in specific, or whoever you want to talk about, and what Pels fans should be looking forward to in Las Vegas See, in a few, or, excuse me, a few weeks' time. And I'll be honest with you, Arlene, David, maybe I'm the wrong one to ask about Summer League. Maybe I'm the wrong one to ask. You know why? Because I am not the biggest fan of Summer League anymore. And maybe this is the wrong thing to say. I love it to watch certain guys. Because for me, I've always felt like Summer League is a no-win situation for guys. It's a no-win situation. It's like preseason football. Like poorly, they off. That's right. If you play bad, if you play bad, you suck. And if you play well, it doesn't matter because you're not playing against the top guys. You know what I mean? So I've seen guys perform poorly in the summer league and then ball out in the regular season. I've seen guys ball out in the summer league and perform poorly in the regular season. So, and on the other side of that, some organizations are approaching summer league like they do the regular season. They're, they're low managing guys. You know, the top picks in the draft now are playing one game. Right, one or two. Maybe yeah. one, two games. How many games do you think Victor Wembanyama will, will play in summer league? Two. I don't even think he'll play two full. I mean, like, he may appear in two, but the total minutes will probably be 12 to be in those two games. It won't that's, be enough. That's my – right, and, that, and that's my thing because I want to see – and this is why I say I enjoy training camp so much because I want to see what it looks like when – Zion's on the other side. What it looks like when Brandon Ingram's on the other side. When you have an experienced CJ McCollum on the other side. You know, as opposed to, and this is no disrespect to anybody who is is playing in summer league, but as opposed to playing against guys whose jobs are not, uh, guys who are not, it's a different kind of pressure come training camp. I'll put it to you like that. I'll say this though. I think the Pelicans the last two years have used Summer League as well as anybody. No question. Because I cannot agree with you anymore. The first year you get Willie, his first season, he comes in, coaches the team himself. They go undefeated. And you saw – you got excited. You got excited, right, about Herb. But you also saw Najee. We saw Herb. You saw those flashes. Because after that Summer League, that's when Ali uh, and I will go back to this. We said Herb Jones should start. We saw that Summer Mm -hmm. League. Herb Jones is the only guy on his team that can defend, he should be starting. We saw that in that summer league. So I think they used it well that year. And then last year, Trey Murphy, the confidence that he got offensively, putting up 27 points a game and making the all uh, t- uh, Agreed. All- yeah. team. Agreed. Great point. For him, it told us Trey has hit the switches clicking that he knows people can't guard him, that he can score however he wants. Now, can he do the Will you do the other things, the rebound, the defense, will you continue to do? But we saw him block some shots. We saw him in transition create opportunities for people last year. So we mm-hmm. saw the elevation of his game. I think the Pelicans, at the very least. I could not agree with you anymore. They, they, they're using it for the right reasons. They're using it for the right reasons. And they're developing their players, not just physically, but, but also mentally. You know, there's sometimes where that light can come on in summer league. It can come on in summer league. Like, oh, okay. So this is what the NBA is about. Like you said, Trey Murphy last year, understanding, okay, I can score the ball like this at this level. He's a better scorer at this level than he was in college. Yeah. So can you imagine, can you imagine what happens when... I would say Najee maybe too. No question. No question. 
But a lot of that does come from what you guys referenced and showing the coaches and coaching staff what you're capable of doing in summer league. Showing what you're capable of doing in summer league, in those practices, in those games. Because I, I'm with you. I believe in that time, that's kind of where Willie kind of got an idea. Oh, shoot, man. I could put the ball in Najee's hands and allow him to be sort of a point forward. And those are the things that you kind of sit back and you watch out for. You know, is there anything that kind of jumps off the screen at you or somebody? You guys talked about Herb Jones, his ability to defend. But I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't know that Herb would be nearly as good of a defender as he was at this level from what I saw in summer league. I will be 100% lying to you. You know why? Because Luka wasn't playing in summer league. LeBron wasn't playing in summer league. You know what I mean? Uh, Dame Lillard, Steph Curry, all the guys that you are asking, Zach Levine, who Herb Jones got his first start against, all those guys weren't playing in summer league. So to say, okay, this guy's a good defender is one thing. To say that those guys, that guy is a good enough defender that I can put him on the best perimeter player on the other team come regular season, that's a completely yeah. different Yeah, step. I didn't – I'm not going to say we were that good right. prognostic. <laughs> but you could see that he belonged on, on mm-hmm. the NBA. For sure. And, For sure. And one thing that stood out, that, that did stand out in that summer league, is wherever the ball was, Herb Jones was there. Like, he and missed layups. He did some things that's that were awkward. But everywhere the ball was, Herb Jones is in frame. And that has He struggled to put the ball through the hoop in that summer league, right? He couldn't make layups. Couldn't make layups for nothing. You saw but how he was like, this dude the floor, is how he's guarding his man. You saw mm-hmm. the pro tendencies on that side of the ball. Yeah, that's why we were high on him then. Yeah. Obviously, if this team, everything, as long as he's on the roster, everything starts and ends with Zion Williamson. We're not, mm-hmm. again, we're not doing the other stuff. But what do you think going into his fifth year that you hope he's learned as a professional, um, what the team has talked to him and, and, and just as a man growing up himself, and then what things skill-wise with all this off time that he's had, what do you hope that he's been working on skill-wise to come back and realize the expectations that he has for himself and that we have for him? The skill-wise, um, I don't think this is a secret. I used to say this last year and two years ago, is that 15 to 17 foot jump shot. That's it. That 15, here's the thing, man. And I'm not telling you to, I'm not telling the Pelicans fan base, and I'm not telling any other team's fan base something that they don't know. He's unstoppable. Right now. He was unstoppable. The only thing that has stopped Zion Williamson is health. That's it. So the one thing that I hope that has clicked is whatever you've been doing over the first four seasons, got to change that because that's life. That's life because that hasn't worked as far as translating into availability is concerned. My thought about Zion's different. It's different because I love the kid. I love the kid. My, my thought about his dominance and what he's capable of and what he does for the overall perception and trajectory of this team is different. Because I will say this, and I, Ali, I don't know how many times I've told you this last year, if this team is holding healthy, I will put them against any team in this league. Holding healthy. Yep, 
I, I, I was the first one in here watching the playoffs, watching the Denver Nuggets, and also understanding that since I have been here, this New Orleans Pelicans roster has been a great matchup for the NBA champions that just won. That have been a great matchup for the NBA champions. One of the reasons that they're a great matchup is because they don't have someone to guard Zion, which 95, 97% of the league doesn't. So I hope he's putting the pressure on his shoulders to understand his importance to this fan base, this community, and to this organization. Because with him, B.I., healthy on this roster, along with a Jonas and a CJ and all of the young players that we've talked about, I put him against any roster in this league, hands down. Let me ask you a question real quick, and it just came from what you were talking about. You saw the picture with Victor Wimbanyama, um, with you know Manu and Tim and Sean Elliott, and, and you know just David Robinson. That culture around him. The Pelicans don't have that culture. Just, you don't have the history. You don't have that culture. And in hindsight, you, you can't change these things. But watching what ha- what's happened with Ja and some of these other young players around the league, and I'm and I'm not talking about their morality or anything like that. But just in dealing with these things, the overall shift in this league from a man's league to where where you came in, there were grown men who had who had paid house notes, who had been through divorces, who had had been traded, all those things that life, they've been through life. We're in the locker room, four or five of those. And when Zion walked in the locker room, there's two. There's JJ and there's um, Derek Favors. You know, it's it's a lot of young guys going through the same thing that he's going through. How 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 has that balance impacted the growth of young players in the NBA? Because I think it has a, it, it's a huge impact on how young players do. Mm-hmm. I've always felt like, and I talk about this on my Sirius XM show all the time. I feel like one of the most underrated, undervalued aspects in today's NBA is the lack of veteran presence in locker rooms. And I can point to my own experience, right? As when you get to this league, you're called a professional athlete. What gets lost in translation there is the professional part. All these guys are great athletes, but the professional parts gets lost. And if you don't, guys don't know what they don't know. You know what I mean? Like, just think, when you were a 21, 22-year-old young man, you actually had to experience some things to actually know what was okay, what I can do, what I can't do. The only difference was your life wasn't under a microscope via social media, right? And now- You wanted to enable your mistakes. <laughs> right. Right. And, and what we do now is we give up on guys that are 22 and 23 years old, like they're a finished product. I had a conversation with a, a coach today at my basketball camp that was talking about Ben Simmons. I said, oh, man, that young man's done. And I told him at that time, what if somebody told you at 23 years old that you're a finished product and you're done? Growth is not linear, right? It's not. It's not, but what we do, because the amount of money that we pay these players, even though they're three years removed from prom, we expect so much more. And it's not fair to them. It's not. We need to allow guys the opportunity to make mistakes. It happens. And so the same way, being in that position that we would like grace offered to us, 
we have to offer that same grace. I understand. I, I, I understand how this works because they get to a point you're like, oh man, you know what? I've I've offered a lot of grace. I'm sick and tired of this. I want to see. The Trust me. It'll click. It'll click. It may not click when we want it to click, but it will click. Guy, it's a matter of time before guys start to understand what it takes to be successful to sustain a long, healthy NBA career. It may not. My my rookie year, my rookie year, I was eating McDonald's for pregame meals. I was eating McDonald's. But you know what? I went to San Antonio. David Robinson was there. Avery Johnson was there. Mario Ellie was there. Steve Kerr was there. Danny Ferry was there. Terry Porter was there. Jerome Kersey was there. And they taught me what I didn't know at that time. I, I, it just, you, you can't replace institutional knowledge. No, you can't. And, you I, can't I, and you can't expedite the process. Guys don't know what they don't know. And, it guys don't know and the thing is, guys don't know what you know. Because a lot of the people out there that are talking about what Zion should know, what Jackson Hayes should know, what this guy should know, they're 35, 40, 45 years old. They don't even know what you know because you've had an opportunity to actually go through and experience some things in your own life. You've had an opportunity to live through some mistakes. Eighty, last thing, let's wrap on this. Just, um, I just want to ask you about Willie real quick. You talked about your co coaches that you've been under. You played under Brian Hill, Pop, Mo Cheeks, Eddie Jordan, Byron Scott, players, coaches, tacticians, all those types of things. For Willie, going into this year with all the things around him, I think he'll obviously he's the kind of person to block those out. But what do you look for him in his growth this year that make will make him, you know, a better coach and a leader for this team? <laughs> I tell you, I think that um, he's already started that process for me on the outside. I've always been told that you can't lead until you learn to follow. And I feel like one of the things that Willie did is he went out and got James Borrego. And the reason I say that's important is because now you have someone outside of yourself that is on that bench with head of coaching experience. And that's incredibly important. That is incredible, not just head coaching experience, but head coaching experience and that you trust, right? So the one thing that, the first thing that came to me about Willie Green that kind of stood out was his understanding of this generation and the relationships and how important those relationships are, right? So then he goes out and he gets James Borrego and he goes out and he brings in Aaron Miles, right? Guys that he has history with, guys that he has trust in, guys that he has an understanding with. And now you take those relationships along with the relationships that he is building on a day-to-day -day basis with the players. I don't, I don't care what the record says. I don't care the fact that this team didn't make the playoffs this past year. Willie Green's doing it the right way. Eddie, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And and we, Ali, you have any final thoughts that you want to have? No, we've kept Eddie long enough, but we'll have him back. So <laughs> not worried. For sure. It's always for a pleasure. Sure. And, and we always learn something just talking to you. And, and enjoy the rest of the week with the camp and our best to, to you and the family. And, of course, your daughter who will be joining the LSU Tigers with their most recent national championship. She'll be walking in the doors this fall at, in Baton Rouge.
Yes, thank you guys. I always appreciate the way you guys go about your job. Honest, professional, and respectful. David, Ali, I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, for Ali Cosell, I am David Grubb. This has been... Oh,